What's up, Jets fans? I'm Dylan Terman, and welcome to our 19th episode of Jet Nation Live. Uh, I do not have Glenn with me today as a co-host, but I do have a special guest, um, resident Jets fan of the TDN, the Draft Network, uh, Chris Schubert. Uh, how are we doing tonight, Chris? Dylan, super excited to be here, super excited to, to talk some Jets football. Nothing, no news, nothing for us to talk about here on the show tonight. Nothing happened between now and the end of the season. Nothing, absolutely nothing happened. Exactly. It's been pretty much status quo at one Jets drive ever since the end of the season. Players cleaned out their lockers. Nobody said anything egregious to Mekhi Becton, and, and we're all on our way. Uh, no, that's not the case. 48 hours, 72 hours later, um, it has come down. Offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur and others on the offensive staff have been fired, uh, mutually parted ways, let go. Um, I guess I'll see you at the next holiday event. I don't know, however you want to phrase it from Sala. Uh, LaFleur is no longer on the team. A handful of other moves that have come with it. Uh, he announced today offensive line coach and run game coach John Ben has been let go. They're also in need of a wide receivers coach. Miles Austin got in trouble for gambling on his phone. And they also need to hire an offensive assistant depending on the new OC. So right from there, we'll just jump right into it. Um, based on those three firings, uh, what is your first emotion reaction to it? And now how do you feel a little bit after the dust has settled? There's a lot of takeaways from this move because it's not just Mike LaFleur leaving, right? I think that's the important thing to, to underscore mm -hmm. here. There are other moves that I think give us a little bit of an inclination as to how this is going to go. Um, overall, first, first of all, you never want to see somebody get fired. I and mean, I think we were all rooting for Mike LaFleur to succeed here in New York. We wanted him and Zach Wilson to grow together and be the coordinator and quarterback of the future for this team. So obviously you don't want that uh, to be the case. But I always felt like somebody was going to have to pay the toll for what happened at the end of the season. You can't go one in six, one in seven down the stretch. You can't lose six in a row. You can't score 16 points, 15 points in your last three games and expect everything to be okay. Somebody was ultimately fair or not fair going to have to answer for that. And so I'm not surprised that it ultimately was Lafleur. Uh, and listen, I think the bigger thing here is the other coaches that have been let go because to me, that signals that maybe this is not going to be the same scheme that we have come to expect over the last two years here from the New York Jets. Everyone anticipates them to run a very similar off-brand but very close-brand version of the San Francisco 49ers offense because of all the ties. Well, you got rid of your run game coordinator and your old line coach whose entire job is to get this team to run the, the wide zone scheme that they like to run. You get rid of LaFleur. We don't have a wide receivers coach. And we've now said that the offensive coordinator, the new one, is going to have a say in who the quarterback's going to be. I think this this opens the doors for this Jets offense to look very differently in 2023. Yeah, and just a couple hours ago, Rob Sala went to the podium and addressed um, these new coaching changes, and he admitted himself that they're going to cast a wide net at offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know if that's going to necessarily mean an older or younger candidate, but he did admit himself that he's going to learn a lot in the process of hiring a new OC because I don't think uh, Rob Sala has dealt with many different schemes other than the Shanahan Lafleur type scheme. So it's going to be a huge learning curve from that perspective. So I'm glad you brought it up that way. Um, when asked to make a, a basic sales pitch for offensive coordinator at the podium today, his first response was a, a slight chuckle and then a top five defense. So not really the endorsement that you want for an OC to, to come take this job. Obviously you want to hear a little bit of continuity with the quarterback position. O-line isn't completely in shambles, although the Jets have some pieces coming back that might not make it a complete mess. So 
do you find this an attractive job compared to the other offensive coordinator jobs? I don't have them off the top of my head. I know the commanders are looking for one. Uh, the Titans are looking for one. So do you find this as one of the more offensive coordinator, attractive offensive coordinator jobs? Well, I mean, you also have to add in all the other teams that are looking for head coaches, right? Carolina's probably right. going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. Denver's going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. Indy's going to be looking for one as well. So it's not just the teams that have fired their OCs. It's the teams that have also fired their head coaches. This is a tough one, man. You can you can flip a coin and probably get me to, to feel differently about this. On one side, I can look at Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and Makai Becton coming back and – a lot of the good things that we have talked about at length when it comes to the future of the New York Jets and say, yeah, I'd like to get my hands on that. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty easy to find success with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. And oh, by the way, you're telling me that I'm going to have a large say in who the quarterback's going to be to be able to run the system that I want. Yeah, I kind of like that autonomy. I kind of like having that say. At the same time, you got a team that Woody Johnson can come out and say that he didn't put a playoff mandate out there. Woody Johnson can come out and say that he had nothing to do with Mike LaFleur getting fired. Woody Johnson can come out and say, nope, I'm trusting Robert Sala and Joe Douglas to make these decisions. There is a cloud that is hanging over this team of you better succeed next year or else. And so if you are one of these top offensive coordinator candidates, are you willing to take a job and move? I'll give you Daryl Bevel as an example, who's right now the quarterback coach in Miami. He's not atop mm -hmm. my list of top candidates, but he's a name that's been floated around. He's right now working with Miami, working with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Tua, Mike McDaniel. They're in the playoffs. It's Miami. There's no state income tax down there. It's a pretty sweet gig. Is he going to uproot and leave to go be the OC with the Jets because he knows Salah from Seattle when there, there's a – non-zero chance that next year he's going to be looking for another job again? I don't know. That's going to be the part of this that I think is really interesting to see play out because we can you can cast a wide net, you can put a bunch of different names out there, a bunch of reporters can talk about a bunch of different people, but at the end of the day, the risk is a factor here because it is going to be win or else, I think, in a lot of ways for the New York Jets next season. Yeah, certainly win or else. And I, I've been using the term on Twitter, lame duck year, because – that's essentially what this could be if the offensive coordinator position isn't uh, a splash, not necessarily a splash, but a home run and it hits the ground running and everybody's receptive to the to the scheme and is at least producing at a, a middle tier level. Like LaFleur had uh, AVT and Brees Hall at the 14th best scoring when they were healthy. So obviously I'm not saying that's the the ceiling of what we need from a new OC, but if you can get into that range of 18, 16th best offense, like that would be enough in my opinion. But like you said, all those factors involved, how willing is somebody going to be to stick their neck out there and say, I'm confident enough in my offense that one year with brand new players is enough for me to get my foot in the door. And if all hell breaks loose and Sala and uh, Joe Douglas do get fired in 2024, I'm, I might be able to stick around. And I don't necessarily think that's the case for almost any hire. Now we'll see. Obviously, there's certain people. Go ahead. What were you saying? Well, I, no, I was just going to add, like, this is all. This also would have been the same conversation that we would have been having if Mike LaFleur had stayed, right? If Mike, right. Let's, let's play out a scenario where Mike LaFleur is, is retained as the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets in 2023. Mm -hmm. You don't think there's pressure to win and compete and be good next year and make the playoffs? And, oh, by right. the way, you're asking a young coordinator entering his third season to bring in a veteran quarterback. Because, again, Zach Wilson is not going to be the starter in 2023. So you bring in a Derek Carr, you bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo, you bring in whoever the case may be. You have to get them up to speed. I don't care that Jimmy G knows the offense from San Francisco. He has mm -hmm. to work work out a relationship with all of his new offensive linemen. He's got to work yep. out a relationship with all his new wide receivers. And so you're going to put that kind of pressure. Like, the pressure exists regardless, whether it's LaFleur or a new OC. And that's the scenario that we're going to now 
play out here. But that pressure is going to exist regardless. And now I think it just makes the job for Joe Douglas and Robert Sala a little harder because you got to get somebody that's willing to take the risk where LaFleur was already in-house. But that risk was always going to be there with the way that the season ended. This is not a team yeah. that went 7-10 and and was up and down all year. This was a 7-10 and team that started off really well and collapsed and fell apart down the stretch. That puts some pressure on year three. The context matters there. Yeah, certainly. It's almost like a reverse of 2019, seven and nine with Adam Gase, where they started hot and then fizzled out. Uh, now they are opposite rather. Um, yeah, so it, it's just it's super tough. Obviously, there was going to be pressure on Mike LaFleur regardless. I felt like the hiring of um, aged veteran quarterback coach could have you know mitigated a little bit of that pressure, but that pressure was always going to be right on his uh, like right behind him he's going to be peeking over his shoulder every time he has a bad game next year no matter what so it is certainly a tough situation um for no for whoever's going to be there it's just it's a tough situation for Rob Sala especially because it didn't seem like he was ultimately the guy that let him go now you can make any any assumption you want about ownership and you will never be proved right or wrong because at the end of the day it's ownership and nothing will really leak about what confirmed Woody Johnson decisions have been made so Rob Stahl has to fall on the sword for it, but moving into like, and, and even if take away take away the Woody Johnson involvement, right? Even if even if Robert Sala deep down inside, right, deep down at, when he was at home, he knew that he needed to move on from Mike Lafleur. He's got a personal relationship with the Lafleur family. Mm-hmm. Matt Lafleur, the, the the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, was the best man at Robert Sala's wedding. Like, okay, yeah. there's a. There's a relationship here that it that obviously complicates this and creates more context. So whether or not Woody said you need to make changes to the offensive staff or not, making a change was always going to be hard for Robert Sala one way or the other. Yeah, that's certainly true, at least when it comes to LaFleur or possibly any San Francisco um, carryover like John Benton was. It seemed like he wasn't really ready to go into detail on John Benton and whatever, you know, rightfully so, whatever he wants to not divulge John Benton's information. But it seems like on the surface, Mike LaFleur had some other opportunities, whether they come to fruition or not, and he is picked up by another team. I know his brother in Green Bay has been flirted. Uh, Miami's still in their season, but Mike McDaniel has familiarity with him. You pair up an offensive uh, pass game coordinator and run game coordinator again. Um, there's some other names. The teams floated out there. San Francisco reunion, perhaps. But do you think that Lafleur is ultimately going to become a coach that flourishes in this league, so to speak? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think the future yeah. is very bright for Mike Lafleur. I think, uh, I, you know, I would put L.A. with the Rams in there, whatever their situation is like. I think that's a team that you can throw in the mix as well. Listen, I think when, when, you have, when you are dissecting what happened here with Mike Lafleur, it needs to come down to this. When the Jets hired Robert Sala and he made the decision to hire Mike Lafleur, and then the decision was made to drive Zach Wilson number two overall, there was a marriage that was made between Zach Wilson and Mike Lafleur. Those two were now paired. They were they were at the hip together. And mm-hmm. the idea was they are both going to grow and develop and become better versions of themselves together. LaFleur had never called plays before, right? He was the passing game coordinator in San Francisco. Zach Wilson, a first-time NFL quarterback. They were going to grow, mature, learn off of each other and together. Zach was going to become a better quarterback. LaFleur was going to become a better play caller and a better coordinator. The moment internally you've made the decision that Zach Wilson's not our starting quarterback anymore, and we are going towards a veteran, you cannot afford Mike LaFleur to grow on the job. You cannot afford him to learn on the job. 
There are other places he can go and learn on the job and have that kind of success and develop into a good coordinator because I think he is a good coordinator. I think the situation just got out of hand here, and the Jets are going to move on to a new quarterback, and with that new quarterback, we can't be having an offensive coordinator who's still learning on the job, and in a year where the coach... Uh, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback got to be on the same page. They have to see eye to eye. They have to be ready to go because, again, I think it's a big season for the Jets in terms of being better than they were this year. You need everything to hit the ground running, and that's very important. So I think the moment the decision internally was Zach Wilson is not going to be the quarterback in 2023, I think that made it a little bit easier to decide, hey, LaFleur, we got to move on. Yeah, and it certainly seemed like um, Woody Johnson's quotes, there was no video of it, but the quotes from the beat writers that they put out seemed like he was very less um, supportive of Zach Wilson as in terms of being the starting quarterback, at least of the New York Jets in 2023. And rightfully so, he made a, 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 a splash statement saying that a big quarterback move is certainly on the table. Obviously, you see the Lamar Jackson jersey swaps and everything going out on Twitter as soon as those comments were made. So my, my question to you is, do you think that this is the year? I know Woody was away for four years um, as the ambassador to the UK. He comes back. I thought he was going to make a splash last year, um, possibly a Deshaun Watson before the allegations. Do you think this is the year that Woody goes all in and says, I'm going to go get myself a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, if the Jets are going to get a quarterback to play for them in 2023, it's going to be a slashy move. It just has to be, right? Let's mm-hmm. let's run through the options, right? We trade for Lamar Jackson. We trade for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, those are splashy. You sign Tom Brady. I'm not saying any of these are realistic, but let's just go through them, right? right. Tom Brady, that'd be pretty splashy. Jimmy Garoppolo, that'd be pretty splashy. Trading for Derek Carr, that's pretty splashy. Signing mm-hmm. Geno Smith, bringing Geno Smith back to New York, that's oh, pretty splashy. I mean, there's there, none of these aren't going to fall into the bucket of splashy. It is the quarterback position being acquired via trade or free agency for the New York Jets. It's going to be back page news. It's going to be talked about all over the place. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be splashy. This isn't signing a wide receiver in free agency. This isn't trading for a starting corner or starting safety. This is the quarterback position of the Mm -hmm. New York Jets. By definition, it has to be splashy. But Woody Johnson made it clear. Big move. Not afraid to spend money. The only limitation is the cap. I mean, he made it very clear that the Jets are going to have a different starting quarterback in 2023. I don't. I, if, if you were on the fence thinking that there was a chance that Zach Wilson was going to be the starter, I think Woody Johnson put that put that to bed today. It's not happening. They're going to have a different quarterback in 2023. That doesn't mean Zach's off the roster. Zach is going to be on the roster in 2023. I believe that wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. But there's going to be a different quarterback starting under center for the Jets in 2023. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I believe if um, I'm re- understanding the tweet, right, all the guaranteed money in Zach's contract has already been doled out to him. So it's not a matter of moving on to save money. It's a, it's, you're counting pennies to move on. It, exactly. It's, so it's actually a detriment. He, he gets the right. And you take a brutal cap hit and you lose money against the cap. It makes zero sense financially to move on from Zach Wilson. You kind of have to keep him. It's a sum cost at this point. Yeah, and and I projected it a couple weeks back that I do believe quarterback three, maybe quarterback two, is most likely his future for 2023. If you could have that guy in in playing clothes with a clipboard and a headset every game learning this offense, because it's going to be a new offense, let's let's face it, it's most likely going to be a new offense. So Zach Wilson learning a first-year offense in a a potential lame duck year, it sets up for failure. So I agree, yeah, it's going to have to be an incoming quarterback, whether it's free agency or draft. Um, I know you're a draft network guy, so you probably hear this a lot, possibly with the Jets. I hope not. 
can we put to bed drafting a quarterback at 13? Sure, because who's going to be available at 13th? Who's going to be available? Exactly. Bryce Young's going to be off the board. C.J. Stroud technically hasn't declared yet. He has until Monday. C.J. Stroud won't be on the board. Mm-hmm. Will Levis won't be on the board. The only quarterback that you would even consider in the first round right now would be Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson is not a player who would be ready to play in year one. Not happening. And so the Jets, out loud, outwardly, have admitted we made a mistake by drafting a quarterback who wasn't ready to play, and we should have sat him, and we shouldn't have thrown him out there. They're going to make the same mistake again by drafting Anthony Richardson, and their quarterback room for 2023 is going to be Anthony Richardson and Zach Wilson. No, that's not happening. Also, let's live in a world. Let's play this out here for everybody listening to the show. Will Levis does fall. C.J. Stroud does fall. Bryce Young does fall. The height concerns for Bryce Young, or he falls down the board. C.J. Stroud gets talked up. He gets taken. Bryce Young falls. The Jets, Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, UOC, with probably their jobs on the line. They're going to do that again. They're going to take a second swing at a quarterback when the last one worked about as well as it did. Yep. That's, you just got to look at it from a risk assessment standpoint. Do you really think the New York Jets are going to wait all the way until the last week of April to solve their quarterback problem for 2023? It's not happening. It's not happening. They're not no. doing it. Could they take a quarterback on day two or day three to have a project guy that maybe their coordinator likes? And says, oh, let me get my hands on this guy. We develop him. He stays in our system for two, three years. Now we got a great solid backup or a guy that we believe in. Sure, you could, you could, I could buy that at thirteen. Mm-hmm. This team needs offensive line help. They're probably going to need another wide receiver. They need a safety. They need linebackers. There's a lot here, folks, that the Jets need to address in the draft before we start going down the quarterback rabbit hole again. Yeah, I feel like um, some of these people have gone scorched earth that do think that the Jets drafting a quarterback is a liable option for this season. And like you said, your best case scenario is one of those top three quarterbacks falls that you are in love with, or you have Anthony Richard and or Richardson, excuse me, and you're grooming two quarterbacks at the same time in the offense that still needs a quarterback. So yeah, I think it, it's good that we had a, a draft central expert come on and say that because it's exactly it's it's one thing for Glenn and I to say that and but for somebody who is around the draft talk 365 completely submersed in it I'm glad that you can put it to bed on our podcast it's not happening okay back not in the first round no 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 no. day two and day three quarterbacks that I'll talk up here at some point between now and the draft but drafting a quarterback with the 13th overall pick asking them to start is not happening will not happen Right. Exactly. And pivoting away from quarterback, because first we have to find the solution to problem a, which is offensive coordinator. Uh, I know that you have tweeted out your advocations, so to speak for a certain guy, Greg Olson, senior offensive assistant currently with the LA Rams. And then the report comes out earlier this week, Sean McVay is not going to block any uh, coaching opportunity uh, interviews, even if it's a lateral move, because of his uncertain future with the Rams. So that opens the door for the Jets to not only interview with Greg Olson, but there's no fear of being blocked if he is to come on as our OC, which it is a promotion, but still. Um, do you have any other names? And you can elaborate on your your how much you like Greg Olson if you want, but do you have any other names to list as far as quality offensive coordinators? I know that there are some young names that are getting the hype um, potentially for uh, head coaching gigs this year, um, like Ben Johnson for the Detroit Lions. I know he's a really hot name to be a head coaching candidate. I don't think he's a realistic offensive coordinator candidate for the Jets, obviously. But are there any other names, potentially veteran names at OC, that you like other than Greg Olson? 
I'll give you characteristics that I think are important for us to look for in a uh, offensive coordinator search, and then at the at the end, I'll discuss why Greg Olson is the only option here, in my opinion, for the Jets' OC search. I think you need somebody who has experience calling plays before. You need somebody who has done this before. They have called plays week to week, year to year, season to season. This is what they do. They've done it before. That's why Daryl Bevel is a name that you're hearing get thrown out a bunch. Called mm-hmm. plays in Seattle. Was instrumental in the development of Russell Wilson. That's another characteristic. I want somebody who has an experience developing a young quarterback. With Russ, it didn't take very long. It's a third-round pick that won the, the, the battle in training camp. But you know what? Zach Wilson going to be on the roster in 2023. Okay, let's not give up on the kid. Let's get somebody in here who who is willing and eager and excited to work with Zach. So those are the two big characteristics for me. You've got to have called plays in the past, and you have to be willing to develop Zach Wilson because he's going to be on the roster. So having all that been said, Greg Olson is the perfect fit for the New York Jets, and here's why. Derek Carr is going to be an option for the New York Jets. We'll get to that in a second. Greg Olson was the offensive coordinator with the Raiders on two separate occasions when Derek Carr was there. He yep. was the OC in his rookie season. I think that's very important. A, that, that's a check in the box of this guy has worked with young quarterbacks. Derek Carr had a pretty good rookie season. Go look it up. Go, go to Pro Football Reference and look up Derek Carr's year-to-year statistics. That rookie season's pretty good. Oh, by the way, he leaves that job, so he's no longer the Raiders OC. What does he go and do? He works with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. Blake Bortles has the best year of his career with Greg Olson on the staff as the as the offensive coordinator. Oh, by the way, after that, he then goes to the L.A. Rams and is the quarterback coach. Guess who has his best season of his career in L.A. when Greg Olson is the quarterback's coach talking to him on a weekly basis? Oh, yeah, Jared Goff. Then, mind you, he goes back to the Raiders with Gruden and is the O.C. for Derek Carr's best season as a Raider. You don't think that's a track record that you would want in the building? You don't think that's somebody, if you get Derek Carr, I've now got a previous relationship, so the language of the offense is going to sound the same. We've had success in the past. He's called plays before with Jacksonville. And, oh, by the way, he's worked with young quarterbacks. Derek Carr had success with him. Blake Bortles, Bortles' best career is with Greg Olson in the building. And, oh, by the way, Jared Goff as well. That is a resume that you can put up to everybody and say, wow, That checks a lot of boxes. And, oh, by the way, one of the quarterbacks that we're interested in acquiring this offseason, potentially, this guy coached. That's a win for me. Yeah, and before I even get into other names that I think could potentially be attractive for the Jets, I do believe Greg Olson is the number one choice that you could realistically – I know Frank Reich is probably the number one choice, but if he's getting head coaching offers, I'm perfectly – well, why, why is Frank, who just got ran out of town in Indy, the bounce-back job yep. that he's going to take is, I'm going to go be the OC as a lame duck for the New York. No, it's just, I I get it. Frank would be great. And there's, there, there oh, might yeah. be a connection with Frank and Joe Douglas, right? There might be, I, I don't know if they ever cross paths at any point. So that mm-hmm. might be where the connection's there. I get it. Frank would be great. But you got to look at it from Frank's perspective. He's getting head coaching jobs. Don't you think it's in, it's in his better interest to take the Doug Peterson route, take a year off? sit back, and then next year be able to pick the job. It's working out pretty well for Doug. Doug didn't take an OC job after he got fired or mutually part of ways, whatever verbiage they used there in Philly when that happened. He just took a year off, and then he came back, and he's the head coach of the Jags, and they're in the playoffs. So I think that's – a. if Frank doesn't get another head coaching job, that's the path he'll take. 
Yeah, and I, I I used the Mike McCarthy route, but I actually think he will go back and watch the film and really put together a comprehensive staff of what he's going to do his second time out. Because I do believe Frank Reich is going to get a head coaching job, if not this year, like you said, next year for sure. So he's off the table. You're not going to pull anybody out of retirement to come coach this offense. Like I heard Gary Kubiak was flirted around. Um I, I like Greg Olson, even if you don't get Derek Carr. I just, like you said, his track record of quarterbacks, young, veteran, whatever they are, whatever stage of their career they're at, Greg Olson has proved in his 21 years of NFL experience that he can work with just about any quarterback. The stats on Blake Bortles, um, 35 touchdowns and over 4,400 yards in 2015, 28 touchdowns and seven interceptions in 2017 for Jared Goff. I don't think you really have to scroll much past that in his whatever bio of him you're reading to know that he's the guy. And and like I said, I don't know if Derek Carr is necessarily worked at Purdue with Drew Brees. I mean, this dude has oh, a resume man. that goes beyond anything you could even imagine that you would want in an offensive coordinator. He was on the Purdue staff when Drew Brees put together the best season of his like best season in college. Like, what are we doing? Like this yeah. just screams the top option to me. He has a resume that when you go stop by stop by stop, you can point to one thing at each of those stops that fits exactly what the Jets situation requires right now. And that's exactly why they won't do it. Yeah, that, that is really the unfortunate part about why they won't do it. I think like my my view on how Derek Carr versus him together plays out, the Derek Carr decision has to be made quick, fast, in a hurry. February 15th is the deadline for all the money on Derek Carr. Um, that means that you have to get Greg Olson in here. Obviously, there's going to be other suitors for him potentially. I know um, a lot of people on Twitter have tweeted it out that he could be a name to watch. So if there's competition there with the Jets, obviously you have to win that competition to get Greg Olson first and foremost. And then you have a decision to make by February 15th, which is a, a month and three days away from today. So you have to put a lot of pieces into place very quickly for this staff. And I'm not saying that that's a reason not to do it. I just think that that is a speed bump that this offensive or this, this organization is not necessarily going to take because it will look like the, haste makes waste route and they just went for the first guy and the first quarterback that hits the market didn't even wait to see free agency or any trade possibilities that came out so i i am a big fan of it i do see how it could be um you know not done on the jets side of it so other names that i could see brought in other than greg olson i do like pep hamilton um currently the offensive coordinator of the houston texans so I think he would have to be let go for us to be able to hire him without being blocked at all. But I'm not sure if they did or not, if they have let him go. Um, he was actually with the Jets for three years, 2003, four and five. Offensive quality control coach, quarterbacks coach, wide receivers coach. Uh, went on to the XFL many years later, 2019. Actually has a three and two record as a head coach with the defenders. Uh, then he joined the the Chargers in 2020 as the quarterbacks coach and was a Integral part of Justin Herbert's rookie of the year season. Um, obviously, it's not confirmed just how much, but he then moved on to Houston as the pass game coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and then was elevated to offensive coordinator when David Culley got fired. So he's kind of the other name I have written down, Bevel, Munkin, um, obviously Reich we've just talked about. So it really seems like all the eggs could be in this Greg Olson basket. I'm really with you as you talk down these names. It's just not a, a completely appealing list of offensive coordinators that are fitting the bill of everything you want. So it could, it could end up with, you know, a meh kind of hire if they can't swing for the fences and get a Greg Olson. Um, 
like you said, it, it could be the case. I hope not, obviously. Um, how do you feel about Munkin? I'm not as um, tuned into college. I know he was very big in the NFL, and he's only been at Georgia for like a year or two. He does have a very big salary. I heard it was in the range of $2 million, so I don't know if you can necessarily pull him away from college with the money being the uh, attraction. So what are your thoughts on Todd Munkin, quarterback coach of Georgia? Yeah, he checks the boxes, right? NFL coaching experience, calling plays, right? That's huge, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's very important. Uh, being a quarterback coach in college, yeah, your, your development's pretty important for you. You want your quarterbacks to grow year in and year out to be able to help you win national championships. They won back-to-back national championships. That's, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good indictment. And so I think, again, I – Greg Olson's my guy, right? That's just a guy I'm going to pound the table for because I just think it checks a lot of boxes in so many sense. And there's some bias. I want Derek Carr to be the quarterback of the New York Jets next season. Mm-hmm. But the other part of it I think is very important is if you check the boxes of you've called plays in the National Football League and you have an experience developing quarterbacks in this league, I want you on the list, right? I want you as part of this this wide net that they're going to cast. There are names that I'm hearing, you know, that get thrown out, and they're like the quarterback's coach for the Philadelphia Eagles or the quarterback's coach for, for this team. Okay, so we're going to bring in an inexperienced person who has never called plays at, at the National Football League level to replace Michael LaFleur. Say what you want about Michael LaFleur. If you're going to replace him, it's got to be better. It can't be a step back. For sure. It can't be a guy still learning on the job. Guy's brand new, has never called plays before. Yep, we're going to go here. It's got to be experience. You have to draw from that bucket here. It did, the other way didn't work. I think you need to pivot and go in the other direction. You need experience and somebody who's been down this path before to fill that role. Yeah, exactly. I, I do agree with experience, and that's why Pep Hamilton, although he does make my list, it is a little iffy Pep. for me. Don't get me started with Pep. What, what are your issues with Pep? Because I, I'm not, not, I don't know everything about it, so I just want to hear pros and cons. Listen, I know what everyone in the comments are going to say. I get it. Houston does not, doesn't got a lot of talent, but that yeah. Houston offense is rough, okay? And Pep is the at the center of that. I understand you got Davis Mills at the quarterback, but oof, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence when that's the offense that you're able to run on a weekly basis. So I, I'm that would be a tough one for me. Again, he kind of checks a couple of the boxes, but that one – it would be tough because I just don't think the track. I think he, I think he would get the job based on his name and what he has done in the past, not what he has done lately. And I think that would be the the problem that I would have that. Yeah, when you put it that way, it almost seems like it would be a not a step backward from Lafleur, but even a lateral move at this point is no longer an option. It's not not going to get you anywhere. So my my biggest red flag with him was just how many years did he have of play calling experience? I don't know if it is much just outside of this year with Houston. So give me give me Stanford or Indianapolis Colts, Pep Hamilton, or we're in. I'm in. Sign me up. You give me Houston Texans uh OC passing game coordinator, Pep Hamilton. No thank you. No thank you. Yeah, exactly. I think it could go very good or very bad with Pep. So uh, all roads sim- seem to lead back to Greg Olson. And you you put it there that Derek Carr is your choice for quarterback. I don't know if he is your number one. If he is not your number one, do you have nope, other? There's, nope, there's a tear break. It's Derek Carr. I've got hearts drawn around Derek Carr's name on my piece of paper with the other quarterbacks on the list. Yeah, no, it's Derek Carr for me, man. This, this is an underrated quarterback. This is a top 10 at worst quarterback in the National Football League that does not get the respect that he deserves. This guy gets thrown under the bus by the media, by his own team. If you, I forget the, I think it's from the Athletic, but they put together a who gets the worst 
supporting cast in the National Football League. And and Derek Carr, over like the last like seven or eight years, like the span of his career, this dude gets the worst support out of his defense and his special teams out of any of the qualified quarterbacks. Yep. Dude gets hung out to dry by his team. Like, just gets no help whatsoever from his defense and from his special teams. Has to go out there and throw up 35, 40 points a game in order for his teams to win. Listen, that wouldn't be a requirement with the Jets. Top five defense. Everyone talks about how great the defense was and how great the defense is going to be next year, and they're going to continue to grow and develop. Okay, then Derek Carr doesn't need all that. But this is a top 10, in my opinion, a top eight quarterback in the National Football League that's going to become available. You can trade for him. He's got a full no trade clause, so he's going to get to dictate where he wants to go. And you got to think the Jets are going to be high on his list when you look at situations, winning now, good roster, good supporting cast. You certainly think the Jets would be high up on his list. Yeah, I would I would at least hope so because I want the Jets just bottom line, I want them to be an attractive free agent destination or trade destination. I don't want players to continue to use us for leverage like we saw Tyreek Hill do <clears throat> last summer. Like it's that that part of it has just gotten so annoying to me of just, oh, we are in the market for a player, but it's really not in the market for a player. So I would like to see Derek Carr at least from that perspective say, Hey, I'm choosing the Jets, I'm waiving my no trade clause to come to the Jets. I don't know all of the the cap dollars associated with it, but at this point, I feel like the Jets can do anything under the cap to get to even a Lamar Jackson level of uh, flexibility this offseason. So Derek Carr is well within the range of what they can afford financially. Um, Glenn mentioned Derek Carr as one of his top candidates a few weeks ago when we were on, and one of his um, red flags for Derek Carr was cold weather games. Uh, 0-6 or 0-7, in cold weather games, I don't know if that is a Derek Carr problem or if it's, you know, just the offense in general didn't look good those days. So do you have any input on that red flag, potential red flag? I don't want to call it a red flag because I'm, I'm not certainly out on Derek Carr. He's not my number one choice. He's probably my number one choice of the realistic options when you look at like the Jimmy G's and Derek Carr's of the world. But what, what do you think of when you hear like those red flags? And you also mentioned it with the media, that the media part of it. Uh, Derek Carr in the media, do you think he could survive in New York? No question in my mind that I think he would be able to be fine. This guy, this guy's a leader, man. This guy has been around. He's been through folks. I get it. It's Vegas and Oakland, but think about what he has been through during his tenure as the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders and the Oakland Raiders, the coaching changes, the off the field stuff, just everything that has happened while he has been, and he has been a leader every step of the way, has been the example in the media, to his teammates, to his co- a, a perfect person that you would want leading your team. So I have no question about that. To the cold weather thing, man, I don't know. Like, it's it's probably a bit, it's, you know, 0-6. Like, yeah, you look at that and you go, wow, that's not good. Am I not going to trade for a guy because of a six-game sample size? That feels right. ridiculous. That feels pretty ridiculous in my mind. Yeah, it's something that I worry about, but... Six, I'm not going to trade for a guy because six times in the cold weather he hasn't played well. I, I'm sorry, like I just I I can't I I can't let that be. I can't walk into a, a a room with Joe Douglas and say, you know what, Joe, the reason why we shouldn't trade for this guy, dude's 0 six in cold weather games. I can't do it. I, I'm sorry, that can't be that can't be the best thing you got. Yeah, it's a hard sell. Reason. And so for me, that that I I take that off the table. It's something that you look at. But the dude has played in Oakland and Vegas. He plays in the AFC West, so he plays Kansas City twice a year. He plays Denver twice a year. He plays the Chargers twice a year. Those aren't known for, you know, 
cold weather climates all the time, right? Those are pretty warm places to play a good portion of the time. And like, listen, I don't know, man. You take Derek Carr's average season, his average season, mm-hmm. his average out his entire career. It would be the best season any Jets fan probably watching this. It certainly would be the best Jets season I've ever seen. They've got one passer in their history that's thrown for over 4,000 yards. Derek Carr averages 4,200 yards like it's nothing. And this is uh, the 54th uh, anniversary of that quarterback doing what he did. Yeah. So 54 years in the making of trying to get the second best quarterback in franchise history is really unfortunate. Um, I agree from those perspectives. What was your last point? I, I just we, we'll get into other quarterbacks, right? I'm assuming we'll talk about a bunch of them here. I just think the message that I want to send to Jets fans that are listening to this is just don't you can't get picky here. You just can't. You, you can't get picky. No. If, if we're going to if we're going to just nickel and dime and nitpick every single quarterback, oh, Derek Carr's 0-6 in road games. Oh, you know, Jimmy G, you know, he's hurt all the time. Like, those are legitimate things to talk about. But if you're going to do this for every single quarterback and say, oh, I don't want this guy, I don't want this, then you're running it back with Mike White and Zach Wilson. That's yeah, that's what you're going to get. Nobody wants, I don't think anybody wants that. So, again, no, no quarterback is going to become available because they're perfect. They're going to become available because there's some sort of flaw here. There's a flaw in them. Derek Carr just didn't work in LA in, in in Vegas, right? Like everybody's got this. Geno Smith. It took how many years for him to put it together? Lamar Jackson. You don't think it's going to be a little bit interesting that Baltimore is going to trade him and move on from him, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't send up some alarm bells. <clears throat> Every quarterback's got one got a red flag or something that makes you just stop and pause. You got to put that all to the side. You have to. Yeah, before we dive into those other names at quarterback, because there are at least five that I think are reasonable and could be obtainable throughout this offseason, even on the higher end splash side. My whole preface to this whole quarterback conversation, like you just said, is it's almost like a rock, paper, scissor or like for the younger crowd, if they play Pokemon and like those starting Pokemon, how water beats fire, fire beats leaf, leaf beats water. Like there's no way, there's not going to be a one beats all in this scenario of quarterback. You're going to have the deficiencies of everybody. Even the Lamar Jacksons have deficiencies. He's got a big knee injury that's holding him out for a long time. He's missing a playoff game this weekend because of it. He is a very run heavy quarterback. So obviously you worry about his durability and his legs. Um, Every, every single quarterback, Rodgers and Brady, they're old, but they're prolific passers. So you know what you're getting unless they get injured. It's just so many ifs and buts, like you said, that if we keep nitpicking, we're going to end up with Mike White, Zach Wilson, and possibly worse. I mean, you look at like the bottom barrel guys. I'm not even a huge fan of like Jacoby Brissett's and Gardner Minshew's. Like that would just be a complete failure of, of an offseason. And we can't get to that portion of the offseason. So I think it is wise for the Jets to – go back, do their due diligence, look at all the names available or potential names that are available, like the Aaron Rodgers is, and do your homework. Figure out, because if somebody slips free this offseason, Tyreek Hill wasn't supposed to be traded last summer, and it got to that point. So anything can happen in the NFL. I have a couple names in no order um, to go with Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr. Obviously, you mentioned it earlier, Rodgers, Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, any of those other four names, I, obviously there's a huge caveat with most of them, but would any of those guys for you personally move the needle and make you like really happy if they couldn't land a Derek Carr? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll throw out names that I think make sense, right? I think Jimmy G makes sense, obviously, because of the 49ers connection, but maybe less so because LaFleur's not running the offense. I think the, the key to this, right, I think if you want to understand what direction they're going, the Jets are going to go at quarterback, look at who they hire as their offensive coordinator. It's going to sure. tell you a lot about the way that this is going to go down. Derek Carr is obviously my number one choice. Um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo makes a ton of sense. I think Lamar Jackson takes uh, makes a ton of sense because I think as we've seen, uh, Joe Douglas has a willingness to be aggressive and make moves when he thinks it's in the best interest of the team. So if Lamar Jackson's available, he'll certainly make that phone call. Um, Aaron Rodgers is tough. I just don't I don't see that happening. Um, I'll, I'll say it here. I haven't shared this with anybody. Um, if there's a Green Bay Packer quarterback that I think the Jets would trade for, I think it would be Jordan Love before they would trade for Aaron Rodgers. I just think that fits more. I think that makes more sense. Um, trading Aaron Rodgers for the Green Bay Packers, it would just is a capped mess doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and they might want to try to get something for Jordan Love while they can. And so that, to me, makes more sense if you're the Jets because you can get a younger quarterback with more upside than Aaron Rodgers. Um, but, again, that doesn't fit the win-now window, so I don't know how likely that is. So Jimmy G, Derek Carr, um, Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't rule out Baker Mayfield getting some consideration here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't rule out Geno Smith getting some consideration there as well. I think it's that it's that it's that group of names. I, I think Tom Brady is a it's just not happening. I just no. don't think it's gonna happen. Um, and I don't think Rodgers happens either, right? I can understand the Jets have done this before. Disgruntled Green Bay Packer quarterback gets traded to the New York Jets, right? I, I've I've seen the headlines. I've done this before. Um, yeah. I just think though I think those are the names that they're going to to be interested in. I, I think those are the names that they're going to think about again. I see some comments in the chat about no Baker and like Gino. I agree. They are not on my list. My list is like three quarterbacks deep. It's one of Derek Carr, Lamar yes. Jackson, or Jimmy G. Like that's it for me. But like you want to go, you want to expand beyond that, and you want to talk about other names. I think those are names that fit what they're trying to do. Yeah, and then one more that I n- none of us have mentioned in the comments haven't mentioned yet is Ryan Tannehill. I think that's more of a wild card. Um, I don't really think that he's that's what tough. the Jets are. It, it, yeah, it's a very tough sell for for Jets fans, especially. I just I don't see it happening. So, like you said, I think the list, similar to offensive coordinator, you have a long list of names, and then when you really look into it under a fine microscope, it's just like this short of how many names you actually have at quarterback okay. and offensive coordinator. There's a comment from from Hawk, and he says it's Derek Carr and Olson only. It has to be. You've convinced me. See, that's the I didn't want to do this to other people, but that's where I'm at. Like, that's the problem I have. It's I, tough. I, I have talked myself into that being the only thing that makes sense for the New York Jets. And the problem is I've just set myself up for disappointment. Not, not, they could trade for Lamar Jackson, right? But because in my head, I'm like, oh, Greg Olson and Derek Carr, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. This would work. And I've just hyped myself up in this way. Like, that's what they're going to do. That when it, when they don't do that, it's, it, you get yourself a little upset. Yeah. I think every Jets fan can, can, share in that emotion at one point or another, especially within the last five, six years that they have gotten their hopes up about a specific player, coach, whatever situation it is about this team only to be let down. So I'm glad that you're able to point out that comment there. It, it's tough. Like I said, your, your names get shorter. The, the candidates become more refined and it's not going to be an easy one. I'm ready to, to just, sit back and watch. I'm kind of done arguing with, you know, people on Twitter about it because I feel like at the end of the day, we are going to learn a lot about not just the offense that we're about to take over, but the coaching staff in general, because there are only three members of the offensive staff carrying over from last year. That's Rob Calabrese, uh, Taylor Embry, the running back coach and Ron Middleton, Ron Middleton, tight end coach. 
yeah, got it, got it, got to rep uh, Ronnie M because he was able to keep uh, his job for now. Obviously, the new OC can decide to clean house. I feel like they really like Rob Calabrese. And before Lafleur got fired, I was ready to say Calabrese is, you know, in the path of becoming the OC in in waiting and you know ascending up the ladder. Because let's face it, two years ago when Mike Lafleur was hired, we thought he was going to be poached at this time for a head coaching job. So it's kind of crazy how everything turns on its head. Um, I'm ready to transition into a little bit more draft talk. Um, obviously, oh, sure. Yeah, the season is over for the Jets. Um, seven and ten, they finish six game losing streak. Seven of their last eight, they come limping out of the bye. Their Super Bowl basically is the 2017 win over the Buffalo Bills. Um, since then it's kind of been bleak and each week we increase our draft focus on this show. Glenn is very, very great at diving into all the names, you know, big school, little school, first round, seventh round, undrafted guys, and just posting tons of clips. So we've, I think we've introduced 98 names. So this is the show where we get over a hundred names on the pod names. Yeah. We, we, every week we try to give a couple at least. So we're, we're getting through it. Um, some guys, they ended up going back to school. Some guys, we are still waiting to hear if they declared or not. Um, some guys have transferred. I talked about DJ Uyunglele too early, and uh, now he's no longer at Clemson. So do you have a short list of players? The Jets are picking 13th for everybody who hasn't looked at Tankathon or any of the tweets that have been posted since the season ended because you just wanted to get away from football for a little bit, understandably so. The Jets pick 13th in the draft. Um, obviously, you talked about a couple positions, uh, offensive tackle, linebacker, free safety. Uh, I believe you mentioned edge in there as well. So do you have a short list of names at 13 that you like? Um, I have some names, but I want to hear your names first. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you three, and I'll tell you what, this – the safety class doesn't really line up. I mean, I think that the only safety that would be worth taking in the first round, at least as of this point, is Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama. I just 13 feels a little high for that. I think the Jets might do that in the second round if he were between mm-hmm. uh, on the board. Linebackers, another tough position. I don't think there's anybody worthy of the first round. I'll give you three names that I think could make sense at 13, and I'm consulting the, the latest uh, TDN 100 that the uh, scouting staff put together here. But three names that have, have made the most sense for me in this entire process, and I'm going to do a deep dive now that the season's over into these players and how they would fit the New York Jets, a little bit difficult because we don't know who the OC is and what kind of offense they're going to run. But Broderick Jones, uh, offensive tackle from Georgia, uh, Dewan Jones from Ohio State, and Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. Those three names make a lot of sense for that range. I think those guys could go as high as seven. They could probably go anytime after 13, and it would make a lot of sense. So those are three names at that specific position that make a lot of sense for me. Um, because they fill a position of need. That's the range that they're probably going to go in. They could play and start right away, all three of them. I don't think there's any concerns about that there. And so those would be three that I would immediately point out. If that's the position that you said, hey, this is the one we're going to go with at 13, those three names make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think knowing who Joe Douglas is and Rob Sala are as coaches, their philosophies about football are very married, and it starts in the trenches. I think offensive tackle is probably A1, of positions that I would look at in terms of just targeting in the first round in general. Um, I believe offensive tackle and edge are kind of tied as first position. Obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Carl Lawson. So that could be a sneaky need in the first round specifically, but I got to give the edge to offensive tackle because not many offensive tackles or quality offensive linemen in general hit free agency. 
So you really need to find your tackles and trench players up front on offense in the draft. I liked Paris Johnson Jr. I haven't done the full study on him, but I do like a lot of what he is. Uh, Dewan Jones, I believe he's the other Ohio State you mentioned. He Isn't he yes. going to senior bowl? So I'll get a look at him. Um, he's another one. He's a big guy, 6'8", right? Massive guy, so. One of those guys that I think the Senior Bowl is going to be a big opportunity for him to to really mm-hmm. kind of showcase a lot of his stuff. Yeah, six eight three sixty is what we have him listed at over on the uh, the TDN big board. So yeah, you want a big guy that uh, that'll play. Uh, I saw in the chat that uh, um, that said at thirteen we'd probably get the last top offensive tackle, and I-, I couldn't disagree more. Here's how this breaks down: you're going to have at least three quarterbacks that are going to go inside the top ten, right? Yeah. Uh, then Will Anderson's going to go. Jalen Carter's going to go. Tyree Wilson, the edge out of Texas Tech. That's a name you should be keeping an eye on because he's going to go in the top ten. That's six or seven players. We've got three offensive linemen that I mentioned. I mean, there's only about six picks separating the Jets from being able to take one of their one of those guys. And I didn't even mention a team that maybe falls in love with Bijan Robinson and says, I don't care that he's a running back. Let me get one of the best players in the draft. I didn't mention Miles Murphy or Brian Brzee, the two kids out of Clemson. I mean, those are all sorts of names. Quentin Johnson's probably going to be the first receiver off the board. There are a lot of quarterbacks and wide receivers and edge players that are, are going to fill up that top 10 very, very, very quickly. And so... I don't think it is a case of the Jets are going to be the, the the last team at the dance with one of those three players. I think there's going to be a good chance that multiple, two, maybe all three of them are on the board by the time the Jets pick. Yeah, and, and just going back to the the height thing on Dewan Jones, somebody in the comments mentioned um, another Becton twin hard pass. That's not that's not to say that he is Makai Becton 2.0. Just because the size isn't what you – is is of a mold of somebody who didn't hasn't worked out for the Jets so far does not scare you into a good player. So if he does have a good showing at at Mobile at the Senior Bowl, I don't see why he shouldn't be in the conversation because at this point we don't know what kind of offense it's going to be. Maybe they do want to get you know heavier offensive linemen for that gap schemes instead of more zone schemes. Like you, if uh, Lamar Jackson comes in, you want to be more run heavy. You want bigger guys up in the trenches. So. I think as you play out the scenarios of how to get to 13, obviously big news, uh, Jared Verse going back to Florida State, that kind of hurts the options that were there before 13. And I was ready to say that if he, if the tackle run had gone, he was a very good candidate to be taken at 13. So I think it could go either way in the trenches, but I'm glad that that you put it that way with the offensive tackles because we're not going to just get the fourth or fifth best offensive tackle on the board. It, that could also be the Jets' first offensive tackle based on their ranking. So you never know how that plays out. Do we, we don't have to go that far back. Jermaine Johnson fell to where in the draft? Yep, 26. The Jets, top 10, the Jets had a top 10 grade on Jermaine Johnson. I think they had a yep. top 8 grade on Jermaine Johnson. So they considered him one of the best edges of the class. They got him in the 20s. Happens. Good players fall. I mean, there there are there is a chance that the, the, the offensive tackle that the Jets love the most is a player that gets to them at 13. I don't think it's it's unrealistic for that to be the case. Yeah, and, and I get it. Like, people are, you know, a little bit apprehensive about, you know, because he, he he said he's a little um, traumatized from the pick of Becton. And from all intents, like, from everything we saw from Becton for the last couple weeks uh, coming out from the Jets media and then his last uh, presser, he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. He tweeted out today that he is mentally in the best spot that he's been in many years so I think that that's an aspect that is never talked about with athletes and Makai Becton especially I understand you wanted to you know 
live the big bust persona and take it all in and, you know, just try to give it right back out to everybody that doubted you. But that's a lot on somebody's mental. So for him to come out and not only physically look good, but mentally look good, I'm excited. I'm not getting my hopes up to say he's left tackle one because we're sitting here talking about tackles at 13. If you can get Makai Beckham to be your swing tackle behind Max Mitchell and a, a rookie, I think that's a good play too. So plenty of options. Um, any non-tackle options that you like at 13, if they say they were to go or they – get a guy in free agency somehow. Man, it's tough because I don't think any of the other positions of need really stand out as good value at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we know Joe Douglas likes to build in the trenches. So I, you know, edge is always on the table, but I, I don't think that's a need. I, I'm going to go into to next season with, with um, John Franklin Myers, Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens, and Huff. I'm going to go in with those four guys. I, not even I, – I don't even need Carl Lawson to be back in order for me to feel really, really comfortable about that group. So is that a position of need? We know the way the rotation works. They want to have guys. But am I going to spend the 13th overall pick on a player like that? I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the direction I'm going to go in. So it's tough. I wonder if – I didn't think Sauce was going to be the pick at four. And so I think that's important context to to give here. I didn't think the Jets were going to draft a corner because the way that the system works for the Jets, they believe that they they can have corners that can they can play. Any corner can play in their system with the way that they build the system, right? You just yeah. have to fit a certain size profile. And the way that they build this team, they get after the quarterback. They don't ask the corners to do too much. Well, then they invested in DJ Reed and then used the fourth overall pick on Sauce Gardner. So if there's a player that is a talent that they absolutely can't pass up, they're going to take that player. So anything's on the table, I think, other than like maybe B. John Robinson, if he was there at 13, I don't think they would take a running back with that pick, considering that mm-hmm. they've already got, you know, two, they've already got two running backs that they like, right? So uh, they, they could be a trade back candidate, right? If a quarterback starts to fall, if a CJ Stroud falls to 13, or if Anthony Richardson's still on the board and a team really wants to, to trade up, or Bryce falls, or any of the quarterbacks fall, and a team yep. wants to trade up to 13, I think the Jets are that perfect team to call. I mean, we've seen it. The Lions made a trade, they traded up from where they were picking in the second round all the way up to this to, to draft uh, Jamison Williams, right? Teams do this all the time when they just fall in love with a player. So the Jets are certainly going to be um, in a position to, I think, take a tackle if one's on the board, if that's the position they want to go with, or they can trade out if they want. Yeah, I have a, a, a live submission to Takes on Takes Friday for your podcast tomorrow oh, that the, the Jets are not going to pick at 13. After all this discussion that we're having, I just I don't see it. I see it either being traded away to acquire a quarterback or I see us, like you just mentioned, trading back because the board is in a way conducive where we can add picks. I know we're not really in the stage of the franchise of acquiring and collecting picks, but if you can even get two extra picks this year and instead of picking 13, you can pick at whatever it is, 22 and whatever, 40 something, then you can take those swings too. So uh, that is my take. The Jets are not going to pick at 13, whatever, however they get rid of it. I just don't see it happening. Um, But I do have a little mini mock. I don't know if this is necessarily going to happen because I feel like my second round player is very hyped up. Um, I was going to go Paris Johnson at 13. And then in the second round, Christopher Smith, DB from Georgia. I know they have a LaMarcus Joyner issue. He might retire. Um, Chris Smith, does he fit the bill or am I getting a little too over my skis with this player? 
No, if you're talking about a second safety that's going to sneak into this to the first round after Brian Branch, it's okay. going to be Christopher Smith. That's the name, right? I mean, I think there's a chance that no safety's going the first round, but Brian Branch feels like he's going to be up there. And then yeah. again, if there's going to be a second safety, I think it is uh, it is it is Christopher Smith. He he would make a ton of sense. And by Lamarcus Joyner, problem, you mean that he wasn't very good this year, right? That's that's what you mean by Lamarcus. Jo- oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, no, despite him asking for okay. Pro Bowl votes and retweets, I no, it's because he was a liability. I know he had injuries and whatnot he was coming back from. The, and the entire safety group wasn't good, right? Let's no. Just, we, we, we can call it like it was. The entire safety group was not good this year. Yeah, and, and I saw Jordan Whitehead tweeted out something about uh, nine pass breakups, two interceptions, 90 tackles, but y'all will say it's a bad year. And yeah, dude, because at times when you throw on the all 22 and you're getting knocked back by Raheem Moster and he's winning the angry run scepter because he puts you on your ass. I mean, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate look at safety both spots, but you can't move on from Whitehead at this point. Joiner is the guy that you're replacing. Or the Josh Allen run where Jordan Whitehead took one of the worst angles I've ever seen a safety take to try to make a tackle. I don't get it. Listen, I'm not every safety just makes a bad angle. I don't get it. It started with Ashton Davis three years ago and it just never got better. Hopefully, if Chris Smith does fall to the second round, he can break the fortunes of the back end because everybody was hyped about Jamal and Marcus. But, I mean, realistically, that just wasn't a fit at the time. So, if we could get back to that type of safety play, I think the Jets would be in great hands. Um, any other draft-related nuggets as it pertains to the Jets? Any any rumblings, anything else that you wanted to add before we get out of here? I mean, nothing that like I personally have, have talked to people about, but I certainly feel as if the Jets are going to be a contender to take a quarterback on, on day three, right? I think they're a team that yes. makes a ton of sense to take a quarterback on day three to get somebody else um, in, in the building. I think wide receiver is going to be something that they are going to address via the draft. Maybe not mm-hmm. with 13, uh, but I think a day two pick, a, a round two, a round three pick is going to be invested in a wide receiver because I don't think Corey Davis is on the team next year. So I just think those are two pieces of information that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, wide receiver is going to become a need here pretty soon, and I think they take a quarterback on day three. It's January. I I reserve the right to change these opinions, please. I just nope. want to make that locked clear. in. That's where I stand on January 12th. Those are my two big predictions that I have right now, that the wide receiver on day two and they take a quarterback on day three. Yeah, I certainly agree with wide receiver on day two. If you don't watch NFL football, you wouldn't know that wide receivers are the new thing. But every single year, you have to draft one. It doesn't have to be in the first round or top 10 or a Garrett Wilson type guy, but you have to get somebody in there that's going to fill in when – that pipeline eventually runs dry because wide receivers are going to dictate much of the NFL landscape offensively, just like quarterbacks do. Elijah Moore, we saw with the trade request, so we truly don't know what could happen. Obviously, the quarterback situation could fix that, but we're really one drama situation at wide receiver happening from just having Garrett Wilson on the roster. So I agree with the wide receiver thing. Um, Are there any sneaky quarterback names that we should keep an eye on? I know um, Hendon Hooker has been flirted because of his injury. He's now dropping. I don't necessarily see it, but I think he's a good player. I just don't see it for the Jets. So are there any like sneaky names there for you? Yeah, Hendon Hooker is a tough one. He's an older player who has a major knee injury that Mm -hmm. is probably going to have him miss the entirety of the season. I think he's like 26 or 27 right now. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's walking into your building at, what, 27 years old um, as a rookie? Like, yeah. that's just that's just asking a lot. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done the full deep dive on this guy. And listen, folks, I understand what's going to happen when I say this, okay? Uh-oh. 
because he went to the same school as Zach Wilson. So I understand, okay? I get it. But Jaron Hall intrigues me in a lot of ways. I will tell you, Cameron Ward, the quarterback out of Washington State, is somebody that I'm super high on. Yes. He's not declared yet. I don't think it doesn't feel like he's going to declare. It feels like no. he's going to, to go back. So that dream is going to be over. But Jaron Hall is somebody that I'm very excited to do the deep dive on because I think he's somebody that I'm going to pro- – what's probably going to happen is I'm going to fall in love with Jaron Hall and be like, wow, they should take him on like in round three. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that he has accepted a senior bowl invite, so I will get to see him down in Mobile – um, I just don't know if I personally can sit here and scout a quarterback throwing passes against Troy and UTSA and all. And I understand that it's a completely different situation with him. I've seen, you know, just highlights and, and surface level things with, with Hall, but it's just, it's tough. Like that guy in the comments with Becton, it's like, I am so scarred from a BYU quarterback in the moment. Obviously I can get over it, but he'll have his chance to shine. I know there are a couple others. Um, Glenn is a big fan of Jake Hayner. Um, so he's a senior bull as well. So him and Clayton Toon from Houston. So we got a couple sneaky, sneaky late round guys that they're probably going to have to draft because you're going to acquire a guy. You're going to develop Zach. He's probably not going to be in the plans to see the field. So you got to get a guy, even if it's a low level backup veteran, somebody in there to serve as QB two, hopefully for this offense. So I'm, I'm cool with a day two, hopefully late third round quarterback and not a second round quarterback yeah i think that's that's the approach that this team needs to take but they've got a lot of work to do other than just getting an offensive coordinator and a quarterback there's a lot of work to be done to set the jets up for success in 2023 this is where we as jets fans thrive we thrive here in the offseason this is our this is where uh we get uh the most entertainment because it's not normally entertaining during the season so i am cautiously optimistic and i am looking forward to in a big way to see what they do because again just to circle it back and i'll get another cheap plug in here for Derek Carr to be the next jets quarterback that's got to get done sooner rather than later so yes. either way you learn you're either going to get Derek Carr and he's going to be your quarterback or he's going to go someplace else and we now know that that's not an option and you can move on to the next potential piece for the new york jets so the jets are going to be in this and this is going to move very very fast so i'm very very excited to see how this all plays out yeah, it looks very doom and gloom on January 12th, but I feel like even by January 19th, the entire perception around this team and the offense can look dramatically different. Like you said, pursue Derek Carr. He's one of the first options that will become available. He will be heavily suited, I am sure, just as well as Greg Golson. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Chris, I really appreciate you coming on. I know Glenn had um, work-related issues. He couldn't hop in last second with us, but I'm very appreciative of you hopping in. Um, I know you and the TDN staff go down to Mobile every year, so I'm hoping we can catch up, maybe get a drink or something down in Mobile while we're there. So appreciate you coming on. And uh, until next time, Jets fans, I really appreciate everybody tuning into the comments. Very, very high active uh, viewership tonight. So we like to thank Chris again for that. And we appreciate everybody. And next week we'll talk to you. We'll have Glenn back and we'll start our offseason recap because it's always busy time in the offseason for Jets. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Let's go Jets.